Hey, everybody. Welcome back. Another episode of Subject Matter X. Um, you just have me this week. Bob is on vacation. I know I miss that guy, um, but I promise this is going to be a great episode. So for this one, we have the CMO of IBM Watson, Michelle BB. Everyone calls her Michelle BB. Um, coming on the show, we dove into some amazing, insightful uh, topics like when was the last time somebody did something amazing for her, um, you know, in, in, in the work setting. Um, another real super interesting um, conversation all around when is it time for a rebrand versus a refresh? I think a lot of people nowadays are are discussing that. And then also too, what in the world is digital experience? Um, I'm, I'm sure a lot of you have been seeing that term and that title popping up here and there. So uh, Michelle broke it down for us. So let's get this episode started and and welcome on to the show, the CMO of IBM Watson. Okay, cool. Well, welcome back, everybody. Another episode of Subject Matter X. We have an incredible, incredible guest on the show today, Michelle Bukoff Bidek, um, the the CMO of, of IBM Watson. I'm sure you're all familiar with Michelle. How are you today? I am great. I am great, Todd. It's great to speak with you. Yeah, yeah, it's um, no. This is this is going to be really good. Um, as we were just chatting chatting earlier, we were talking about you know early in in career uh, career advancement and and how typically people with with amazing position positions um, like like the one you have they they're in they're in a, a conference and they're talking and and there's not enough time to cover the the question of how did you get to where you are today like how did you become the CMO of company X, in this case, IBM Watson. Um, so we're going to unpack this today. And, <laughs> and, and we're also going to unpack uh, your marketing experience. Like, like marketing is changing so quickly and, and so many people have different opinions on different aspects of marketing and branding and, and demand generation. Um, and yeah, I, while you're here, let's, let's dive into that as well, right? <laughs> Sounds great. I'm up for it. All right. So um, I want you to think all the way back early in your career, what was your first job? Okay, so as context, and this is going to date me, but I will give it to you anyway. I graduated in 1991, and that was right in the middle of the early 90s recession. Some of you out there may recall, there were very few jobs and far more college graduates. So my first job, uh, I found a position temping as an administrative assistant, and it ended up turning into a full-time role, which was great. I did it for 18 months, and I will tell you this, it was one of the best learning experiences I've had. Number one, I learned to type, which I hadn't, uh, I hadn't known how to do before, so that was mm -hmm. great. Mm -hmm. But second, I was temping for a marketing agency, and my job at the time was to type all of those account managers' briefs. We not everybody had a computer at the time. And so there were just a couple of terminals and that was my job. And I learned more about the business by reading those briefs and understanding how we were helping clients than I think in, in any other role I've had. It was amazing. Mm, interesting. And so that, that was the, the first and mm -hmm. it seemed like it, it helped you, you know, you, you got started. What was your worst? Well, you know, some people might say, oh my gosh, wasn't that your worst experience? <laughs> no, it actually wasn't. You know, again, I learned so much. My worst job was a bit later in my career, and I was part of a marketing team that didn't have the confidence of its leadership. 
we didn't have a seat at the table. And even though we tried very hard and, and at the time we were starting to really use towards, uh, we were starting to use more data to drive what we did, um, we could not convince management of the value of marketing. Taking a more data-driven approach, it was still fairly new at the time, but the expectation was that marketing ran events, we built content brochures, and that really just wasn't what I wanted to do in my career. And, and as a result, it really turned out to be a fairly miserable experience. Mm. And it, was it just, it was because of the uphill battle of trying to, to convince, like always convince? I, I believe I believe it was. I think that when you have to struggle to convince somebody of the value of what you're doing, yeah. um, you know that that is incredibly challenging. We had the data, uh, but again, I think that there was still a lack of confidence. Yeah. And I'm so excited because I think we've come so far with our use of data and in our understanding of what marketing is capable of that. You know, that fortunately was just a one-off experience. Mm. How, how much of marketing do you think should be data-driven versus gut? Well, um, you know, when I, uh, I spend my day or I, I start my day looking at the data, and I will tell you that far more of it is data-driven. I do think that there is quite a bit of instinct and experience that goes into marketing but I also believe that now we've got a tremendous wealth of information. We know more about our customers than ever before. We know more about the market that we're trying to enter than ever before. And so I think that, that marketing has had to make the shift to become more data-driven. And as a result, we do have a seat at the table. It's why we have these roles, these chief marketing officers, mm -hmm. and why we're able, I think, to make such a contribution to business in the ways that perhaps we hadn't in the past. Was there anything that you were doing now that you have this experience and, and you, you know, you truly are like, a lot of people say, oh, I'm an expert in X, Y, and Z, but they don't really mean <laughs> it, but you truly are an expert in marketing. What, what were you doing early in your career that looking back on it now, you kind of say to yourself, oh, like Michelle, I, I shouldn't have been doing that. I was, I was going in the wrong direction or, um, you know, mm -hmm. I, I wasn't advancing myself as much as I could because I think there's a lot of people that um, are early in their career and they they think that they're helping, but you know, I, maybe like thirty years from now or twenty years from now, they'll look back and say that that probably wasn't the best thing to advance me. So anything? Yeah, anything you know. It, so I, this this answer may surprise you a bit, but I I wish I hadn't taken on management as early in my career as I did. You know, I believe that we have to do, it, it, it's incumbent upon us to do the best job that we can to prepare people to become first-time, first-line managers investing in them. Talent is so critical to organizations, and the experience people have with their managers shapes their careers, bolsters their skills. It ultimately contributes to their overall satisfaction as an employee, and I think that Early in my career, I was thrust into a management role, um, and I didn't have those skills. Mm -hmm. And so I'm really passionate about this topic, and it's become one of the most important parts of what I, want, what I do and what I help my employees do. So I teach people how to build, manage, and lead effective teams because, again, engaged employees who are well-managed, they understand their role in the organization, they understand the contributions and the importance of those contributions back to the business, 
they're clear about the path they're on, they receive regular feedback, and as a result, they perform at a much higher level. So yeah, I, I know that again may, may come as a surprise, but I wish I had known more and had been skilled and trained better to become a first-time manager. That's a, that's a very, very humbling answer. Uh, wh- <laughs> wh- when, when did you become a first-time manager? Like you say it was, it was too early. What, when was it? I, I was probably only four years into my career. And, you know, I'll, I'll share with you perhaps the thing that resonates the most. At the time when I um, became that first-time manager, uh, it was probably two thousand, maybe a little bit after, so so a little bit later in my career. Um, but I was a, a first-time manager during nine eleven, and I was also on the leadership team of my company at that time. Again, young, and it was a very—I'll um, use your word—humbling, but also challenging time because we had to not only deal with the business and how we were going to move forward at the time, it was, a, it was, it was challenging for any business, but also we had to figure out how to help our people get mm-hmm. through what was arguably um, the most tragic day in our history, in most recent history. And so, you know, I think back to that time and um, I'm, I'm so humbled by the people with whom I worked, the people who worked for me, they were, they were tremendous and wonderful, but I don't think I necessarily had all of the best skills to be the manager they needed me to be at that time. Mm. So s- staying on the, the line of, of management and, and becoming a manager and kind of moving up, um, so you said you're very passionate about this, which, which I, I love. All right, so I'm excited for this one. Uh, w- what advice would you share with um, somebody that's looking to become a manager and then somebody that's looking to move from like a manager to say like a director? Sure. So I think really the best advice is seek to understand the role. What does it really mean to become a manager? What does it mean to become a director? I, you know, I have people who will ask me about career advancement. What do I need to get a promotion? And the first thing I ask them is, if they understand what that promotion or new position will mean for them and what the responsibilities are, what they'll have to do. And then I ask them, why do they feel the need to get there? What are they missing in their own careers that they feel is important for them to manage people? Mm. I also encourage them, whether it's my own team members or someone I'm mentoring or somebody else who's, who's just asking for guidance, to find someone who is currently in a similar role preferably outside their department, and ask them to serve as a mentor. It really does help to have someone um, uh, take you through, um, give you guidance on a role and the skills required before you ever do that job. Mm. And what what about becoming, does that change when when you're moving up or is that just like across the board? I don't think it changes at all. Um, Someone asked me about the role of CMO and I gave her the exact same advice. I think you have to first seek to understand what that role means for you professionally, for you personally, and whether that's really what you want to do. Does this um, insight come from you know, that early experience of moving into a, a management role early? Yeah, I, well, I think, it, I think it does. And you know, I think it also comes from 
watching people who've been successful in management roles, whether again, it's a director, a VP, um, and also seeing um, people who perhaps aren't as successful, aren't as skilled. It is a tremendous responsibility to be in a management position, and we should all take that responsibility very seriously. Our first, our, our, our first sense of responsibility should be to our employees mm. um, because they are the ones who are driving this business forward. And, and we have, um, I, think, I think we have the, I'm going to use the word responsibly again, <laughs> responsibility again, but I think we have ultimately the responsibility to the business to ensure that people are well-trained, well-managed, understand where they're going in their careers, and are well-equipped with the skills that are going to take them forward. What, what mistakes have you learned the most from in your career? <laughs> the really, really painful ones. <laughs> <laughs> um, you, you know, the, <laughs> to be honest, um, the biggest mistakes I've made are when I didn't listen to my internal compass. You know, we all have that kind of internal compass that guides us when I didn't, when I didn't read it well. Um, and I think that there's something in me that always tries to point due north and I need to listen to it even when others suggest or, or may think that um, I should take a different route. Um, I also believe that preparation, frankly, is, is one of the keys to success. A, a true preparation, uh, whether you are headed into a client meeting, presenting at a conference, or hosting just an, even an internal meeting, I think mistakes often occur and, and mistakes that I've made when we're not fully present. That's been a really, really hard one to be candid. I think that as um, in our roles today, we are constantly bombarded by meetings and emails and requests for time. And if we're not disciplined about how we approach our days, and if I personally try to do too much and I'm distracted, I'm far less effective. Yeah. So I guess the, the mistake is really not being present. And I would say to everybody, be present. Shut that laptop down. Mm -hmm, mm -hmm. Yep. Turn the phone off. I. You know what? I am. <laughs> we are. When we promote this thing, that is going to be the front line and center. I. I totally agree. I. Th I think for for me, what what I've. I mean, speaking with so many great people like yourself, like what I've kind of uh, learned is first. Um, you know, as much as you standardize the input, you can standardize the output, which, mm -hmm. which is, is hard sometimes to always remember, remember, remember. And then, yeah, the other bit is like ruthless prioritization, like wins right. at the end of the day. Um, yeah. so to flip that original question on its head, what successes have you learned the most from? Oh, well, this is an exciting one because it's a recent success. Um, nice. Yeah, there is a program that we at IBM launched about two weeks ago in which we honored women who are pioneering the use of artificial intelligence in their organizations. I will be honest, it was a professional highlight for me because I had the opportunity to meet with and, and celebrate 40 amazing women from a variety of industries, different professions, not all technical roles, and um, from across the world, all of whom are leading their organizations through change at a time when the field of AI, number one, feels uncertain for many business leaders, and number two, is still largely dominated by men. Women only make up 22% of the global AI workforce, and that number gets smaller as you start to move up 
the leadership ranks. And so I think that this particular program was so exciting and something that had never been done before. And it allowed us to put these women, um, these women that we identified, these women leaders from all around the world, uh, uh, into the spotlight because they are truly the first movers in AI. And not just as women, but as business leaders. Mm. So I think that, you know, one of the biggest things I'll take away from that success, and, and I always look at what we can learn not only from mistakes, but also from successes, is that there are far more women than I realized, than we realized, who are leading some of these big, bold initiatives within their organization. And while there's a lot of data that says we need more women in the tech pipeline, 100% true, and we can't take our foot off the gas there, but it's so encouraging to see that when technologies like artificial intelligence are being put to work in real business scenarios, whether that's marketing and financial services and automotive, there are some amazing women who are leading this charge. Of, of all of the past jobs, which one has helped you get to where you are the most? Was it the first one? Ooh. In between. Think, think. <laughs> Which one? Okay. You, you're, you're going to think this is cliche, but I will tell you that every single job, the good, the bad, <laughs> the in-between, all of them have held or played an important role. So, so let's sort of unpack that one a bit. Um, they, they've played a really important role in leading me to where I am today. So, so think back to that first job. I learned by reading those briefs. I started to learn... Uh, what marketing was. I was a political science major um, that, you know, I wanted to go into international politics and that's not where I landed. Um, so it's funny, funny how that happens. Right, right. <laughs> yeah. uh, we, we, we can talk about that one later. Um, yeah. But, you know, so I learned the craft and the skill of marketing by reading those briefs. Um, there's another company I worked for, Quero, where I actually led a sales team at one point and held a quota. And I understood the complexities of a business-to-business -business sale and the importance of a true partnership with sales because I was one of them for a while. And I had tremendous empathy coming back into the role and I really understood the importance of that partnership. And then, you know, let's also think back to that first people manager position because, as I said, many companies, I don't think at the time focused on the importance of the first line manager and the critical role that, that we play in the organization. We didn't give people the right tools or training at the time. Mm -hmm. And so out of that was born, I think, that incredible passion for training and development of our managers. Mm -hmm. um, because you know that's, that's how we keep employees engaged and satisfied and grow them and retain them. And, and so you know that's um, that's it. I probably could list every other job as well. I've had some wonderful, wonderful roles. I won't actually put in the time that I was a, a professional mime, but... Oh, please do. <laughs> <laughs> no, it's absolutely true. When I was in high school, I was in a mime troupe and um, I earned money by being one of those robot models at a mall. Oh my, that's True amazing. Story. That is amazing. You know what? So I'll, I'll, I'll disclose a little bit for, about myself too. So I was in, in high school, I was very into street magic. <gasps> I thought street magic was the coolest thing. And I actually uh, went to a couple like parties for, it ranged from like kids to like 
like parents that were having like a backyard party and they hired me to do street magic. So I'm kind of in your That's camp awesome. in that sense. <laughs> I'm kind of in your camp. We we could probably bring this, you know, we could probably resurrect this. Yeah. Oh, if you if if you want to, I am totally in. It could be the Michelle Todd show, my mean and magic. M&M. <laughs> oh, that's great. Um so Okay, I, I love that. So we we kind of unpacked like moving moving up, and it, it's it's interesting that you said that you led a sales organization because um, of all the CMOS that we've we've spoken with, um, that was a, a critical part, and and it was that that empathy. They they could understand what mm-hmm. drives sales, and and there's such a strong um, like symbiotic relationship between marketing and sales, and and having that experience of of leading that organization seems to be crucial and critical. Absolutely. Um, and, and, you know, and I'm grateful today for my partnership with sales. It's, it's, it's something that I think is probably, you know, when you look at where and how marketers are successful, I don't think we can be unless we form that type partnership. What exactly um, is, you know, thinking about the, the teams that you've led, what's, what's one of the best things that an employee has done for you? Well, you know, that's actually an easy one because, again, it's fairly new. Um, and, and look, I've had people do amazing things for me, but, but this was one that really stood out and it was welcomed me into a new organization. When I took the role as CMO of IBM Watson, I joined an amazing team that was already operating at a high level. Mm-hmm. And I had a director who not only welcomed me into this new role as CMO, but also spent a great deal of time to ensure that I ramped up quickly so that I could be the most effective um, contributor that I could. And it's turned out to be a wonderful partnership. And I'm so grateful for the wisdom and guidance of this individual. Um, I'm forever grateful to him. So we, we, we briefly touched upon it, but I, I do want to go back to that. But I'm always curious because everybody has these these different stories and sometimes they can pin it down to one specific moment. But um, when did you truly fall in love with marketing? Because because you studied poli sci and, and then you ended up as, as the CMO of IBM Watson. Where along that line did you say marketing is the career for me and I love it because of this reason? Okay, so... Um... You know, I'm, I'm one of these people who said I would never be my mother, um, but I am my mother. Uh, marketing has always been in my blood. My mother, who started her career programming at NASA on IBM machines, I might add, um, built a very successful career as a product marketing and product management executive for several technology companies. And, you know, I didn't anticipate or expect that I would follow in her footsteps, but I think it must be something that um, is in my genes, right? Mm-hmm. Um, but I, I do want to go back to what we talked about before, because my love of the craft really grew once I returned from that stint in sales. When you have the opportunity to take on a sales role, work more closely with clients, you gain tremendous perspective. And frankly, I became a better marketer as a result. And, you know, I'm far more excited about the impact that we as marketers can have on a business because I've seen the potential as well as the realization of it on the other side. Mm. Um, 
I will also say, though, that I continue to fall in love with the craft every single day as I grow, as I mature. And what thrills me now about my role at IBM and where I'm at in my career is the ability to make a difference. I don't know if you're, if you're familiar, but I came into IBM as part of the weather company acquisition. You might be familiar with the Weather Channel, the mm-hmm. app, and weather.com. And, you know, when you work for a company that is so mission-driven as weather is and IBM is, um, you really do start to think about how you can not just help you know, the, the business in a day-to-day way, but also how do we start to help society at large? Um, you know, as an example, the changing climate, the increase in large-scale natural disasters, it's really challenged us as a business to think about the ways in which we market. And I want to give you an example because I think this is, again, what inspires me every single day. Yeah. But earlier this month, on World Environment Day, IBM and the Weather Company launched Forecast Change. And, you know, this is a new initiative to help combat fresh fresh water scarcity in communities around the world. I saw saw that. Right? I mean, this is like a global issue. This impacts human food security. It, It impacts the environment and our global economy. And we're contributing both funding and services to expand efforts around this issue. We temporarily changed our name to the water channel. Mm -hmm. Um, We did that on both the web and the app to raise awareness. And we held a dedicated code and response hackathon in places like Cairo, Egypt, focused on building and deploying technologies for relief efforts around natural disasters like flooding and drought. So I'm just continuously amazed at the very human impact you can have as a technology company and the impact that we as marketers can actually have. Yeah, yeah. No, it, that was that was an awesome initiative. I I, I did see that because I I have the Weather Channel on my um or the Weather app on my phone, yeah. and and I and I logged in and I think at the bottom there was like it looked like water and waves came up. I think I think that if yeah. I remember that correctly. Yeah. Um, but yes, yes. No, you're 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 so true on that and all fronts. And and as as tech companies, um you know, uh, uh, evolve and, and grow, having that, um, that human side of everything is key. Yeah. And I've got just, just so you know, there are some amazing colleagues who led that initiative and it really does take a company of our, you know, of our size and scale to be able to do that. So I'm so impressed with my colleagues who, who put that together and are making a difference in this world. So walk me through what your team is doing at IBM Watson, like, you know, today? Yeah. So, you know, our job in marketing um, is to support the business, the growth and the leadership of it uh, in the market. And there are four key areas that I look at and that we all within marketing look at. Number one is brand. We have to continue to build and strengthen this iconic brand despite competitive pressures. Um, We look at effectiveness and this comes back to that data piece that we talked about before, which is we use data to drive the decisions we make. And that includes having the right technology, having the right foundation, having the right information to help us uh, drive and progress opportunities, whether they are sourced by marketing or not. Um, The third thing we look at, or the third thing that we focus on is client centricity. We are client obsessed And it is important that we drive that client-focused culture, and we do it through the use of things like NPS, so Net Promoter Score. 
And then the fourth, and you know that I'm passionate about this, but it comes down to people. Um, we're, we're, we're building these inclusive teams that have a range of skills. And it's really exciting because it's not necessarily just traditional marketing skills. But for example, we staff um, our teams with journalists, right? Great writers who understand how to build great content. Mm-hmm. And when we build these inclusive teams, um, we operate in a very agile fashion. So we've adopted the practice of agile that a lot of development organizations have taken on because it allows us to move faster, be smarter, fail faster, and um, actually do some quite brilliant work. When, when did you implement that agile mindset? You know, the agile mindset actually was was brought in by the CMO of IBM, Michelle Peluso, a few years ago. And I think it has really changed the way in which we as an organization operate. Um, We have teams now that combine all of this great talent and they work together on a daily basis and they run these these sprints. And out of those sprints, um, they are producing real content, material, digital programs, and it's exciting to see, um, and then they iterate, and they get better and smarter over time. It's been a wonderful practice for us to adopt, and I encourage all marketers out there, if you're not thinking in an agile fashion, start to explore it. Have you done that at a previous career or or a previous job? Because you're the first CMO that I've heard to say that the marketing team has adopted that. They they have sprints, but it's never the agile method. Well, you know, it's really, it's interesting because I I like to think in, in a couple of previous roles that we were operating in an agile manner, but we really hadn't adopted true agile methodology. And this is the first organization in which we have. And and, you know, I think the move towards agile in previous roles was really important because, you know, when you think about a traditional waterfall model, it's, you know, you make a plan and then over time you execute that plan and you never really come back to, is it working? What are we doing? What can we do better? How do we iterate? Mm-hmm. And I think that, that agile forces you to constantly be looking at and thinking about how you can improve. And so it's become a, a, a tremendous discipline for all of us here at IBM. And I'm thrilled that we've adopted it within marketing. Yeah. I love that. I love that. Um, I'm sure a lot of people listening are going to say, hmm, let's try that. <laughs> I'm sure a lot. Because that seems to be the current trend is like, how can I grow as fast as possible and fail fast? Yeah. The thing that I would say, though, too, is it, it, it can't just be a bottoms up practice. It has to be adopted throughout the organization. You have to make that decision and implement up and down, right? Mm-hmm. So we as leaders have to shift our mentality to allow those teams to be agile because it does require a a massive shift Mm -hmm. in culture, in how you work, um, and in how you manage. What's catching your attention now in the marketing space? Like something, I mean, there's a lot of noise out there. What's breaking through? Oh my gosh. Okay. Well, we'll we'll talk a little bit about my latest obsession then, which is Peloton. (laughs) Oh, yeah. Okay. Do you, do you have one? I own one. Not only do I own one, but because I work in New York City, I visit the studio when I can. And let me tell you what impresses me the most about Peloton. 
So you have the you have you have the Peloton bike. Not do yeah. you have the do you have the 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 treadmill or it's the bike? I have the bike. Okay. I don't own the treadmill yet. Got it. Yes, <laughs> keyword. <laughs> um, but I want to tell you. So so what impresses me? Peloton. Let me let me tell you a secret. They're not a fitness company. They're not a hardware company. They are first and foremost a content company that has built the strongest connection I have ever seen with their more than 1 million users by tapping into a truly unmet need. I mean, they have disrupted an industry and they have such a passionate community. If, if you go out and you follow what's happening on Facebook with their almost half a million followers, some of, the, uh, some of whom are actually are famous, um, Sir Richard Branson has a, has a Peloton. Mm. But if you look at what's happening there and on Reddit, it's a true community. So if you really want to understand whether you're in a B2C or B2B environment, how passionate people can be about a product or service, you only need to go there. It does teach us quite a bit about how to build the type of environment that is going to sell the brand for you. So looking at them, what are key takeaways that that you say to yourself, like, I'm, I'm going to try to implement into my own day-to-day? I think that first and foremost, it is always focusing laser-like on the customer and his or her needs. And, you know, that is something that they have done really well. Even the, when you look at their, their coaches, their instructors, um, they're relatable, they're um, accessible, they have, um, their customer service is spot on and responsive. Everything they do is designed to create a really strong customer experience overall. And as a result, I think they have something like a 96% one-year retention rate. I mean, wow. huge. Yeah. So we, we, as, we as marketers in any industry, B2B, B2C, we can learn a lot from companies like Peloton that have created a new model and have managed to stay, you know, yes, they've disrupted the industry. Yes, they're doing something that's new and different, but they've also managed to create this incredible following by remaining true to their core mission, which is to serve their users and and community. So as opposed to a brand, are there any people that you look out and you say that this this person is doing a real good job at at helping build a, a brand? Um, cause I'm, you know, a lot of people look up to you in the marketing space. Like it's always interesting to know who the person that everyone looks up to looks up to <laughs> at one level up. <laughs> oh goodness. You know, um, I, I look, I look up to a lot of people and, and, you know, I can look outside and I can say, oh, I, I think this brand is amazing. And I think this marketer is amazing, but, um, I, I have to tell you that my personal role model is my mentor. And if you're okay with it, I would just love to share a little bit about her because she is without a doubt one of the most amazing people I've ever met. And I'll tell you why. Her name is Caroline Taylor and she is the vice president of marketing for IBM Global Markets. And yes, um, at IBM. And, And I'm telling you, somebody that I look up to amongst all marketers that I've ever known or worked for. And what I love about her is that Caroline goes far beyond her incredible work at marketing. She dares to think boldly about the ways in which we can address some of the, the massive societal challenges that we face 
um, in this world um, on a global stage. And the thing that Caroline has attached herself to is the challenge of human trafficking. Mm-hmm. So just to give you a sense, the global breadth of, of human trafficking, it's staggering. It's the third largest and fastest growing criminal activity in the world. We're talking about estimated victims um, that ranged from 20 to 40 million, right? Wow. So Caroline chairs the board of trustees at the not nonprofit Stop the Traffic, STT, which began about 15 years ago as an awareness campaign. And, and they had this intent of expanding into prevention. And that prevention has has happened or that that um, expansion into prevention has happened thanks to its relationship with IBM, but but also with Caroline at the helm. Um, they were able, you know, through a grant to further the work on an app that enables anyone anywhere in the world to submit information on suspicious activity. Um, mm-hmm. You know, Caroline and, and, and IBM um, have provided stop the traffic, stop the traffic with software, cloud tools, expertise of of people within. So what I've learned the most is that as marketers, as people, as humans in this world, we can actually change the way the world works. We can make a difference. And so, you know, if there's anyone I look up to, it's going to be her. (laughs) I I love it. I love it. Well, I, that, that's a, it's an amazing one mission that it seems it seems like Caroline is is working on, and but just out of curiosity, how does that tie to IBM Watson? Is that on the side, or is it is there a connection? You know, the the, the there there is some connection, but really, this is this goes back to I think the the foundation of um, data and analytics. So so really, when you think about all of the various sources of data that you have to bring together in order to look at a mission like this. Um, there isn't a, you know, there are very few companies on a scale that could, or, or that can do this at scale um, like IBM. Mm-hmm. And so, it, you know, enable, giving us the ability to take, you know, some of this data and, and be able to make it accessible um, and available and then provide those data analysts who can really look and architect the, the type of infrastructure that's required. I think that's really the, the basis. Now, the tie to AI is, um, is actually a really good one because when you think about artificial intelligence, there is no AI without IA, that information architecture. So can you apply AI here? Absolutely. But only because they've already built this tremendous foundation um, around the information architecture. It's interesting when I, so here's, here's from a, uh, a consumer standpoint, here's my take on IBM and IBM Watson. So from just like a, uh, a one word, here's, here's, if you like, you know, you, you, you said, Todd, like quickly think of a couple words that come to mind. So I think of, if you said IBM Watson, I would think of like cutting edge, like data-driven predictability, future-driven AI, like all of these, these terms. And, you know, I'm, I'm, I could go on for a little while on, on, on more terms that come to mind, but it's been a, it's been driven by the company's branding. Um, and, and so I'm always curious to, to kind of ask people like yourself, not IBM focused, um, but what errors do you think other companies make when they try to focus on branding? And, and when they, cause branding's key and, and very similar to the Peloton example, like 
they have built a very, very strong brand, which creates, you know, customer loyalty. And, and at the end of the day, some people argue that that's the, that's how companies win or lose. It's all about customer experience. And so basically what I'm, what I'm getting to is, is what, what are like, what are errors you think companies make when, when it comes to branding? When it comes to branding, oftentimes companies think short term and branding, it's a, it's a long game. Uh, it takes years to build equity, to build meaning in a brand. It requires sustained focus and investment. And, you know, Watson was around long before me and it will, it will still be here long after me. Um, the second thing that I think companies do sometimes is they, they haven't really done the work to define what the, the core of the brand means, right? And so that's what, what do you value? What do you believe? What do you want to do in this world? What do you want to be known for? We're very clear. We want to be essential. Mm-hmm. Without that, I think companies are going to be prone to change in that kind of trendy, uneven way, and they'll lose sight of what's important because they won't stick to anything long enough to create real meaning. Mm-hmm. Um, and then, you know, th- this is probably going to feel... Um, again, a little cliche, but it isn't just about a logo and a visual expression. It's about so much more than what's on the surface. Branding and a brand, it's deep. And it's universally expressed in how um, we as employees behave in the choices that we make as a business and the experiences we create for our customers and how we think and how we talk. Um, it's, It's when a brand becomes or is really authentic. It's expressed in everything you do. Um, And then finally, um, you know, as I said before, Watson will live on long after, after I'm gone. But I do believe that sometimes companies forget the importance of a brand. And for me, it has been and will be a tremendous honor and privilege to serve as the shepherd and steward of one of the most iconic brands on the planet. We have a 108-year legacy of changing the way the world works. You heard that in some of the stories that I've shared. Um, and all of us in the organization in which I work carry that responsibility, right? It's everybody, it's every IBMer's responsibility to be good stewards of this brand. How, how often do you do like a brand pulse check? All the time. <laughs> <laughs> Daily. No, 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 but 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 I would say that that we look at the health of the brand, and it is again when you you know when we talked about the four things that I focus on, brand is one of them, and looking at that brand health metric is really important. Where do we stand? And most importantly, how well are we we resonating, not just with you know, consumers out there or, or prospects, but with our customers, how do our customers feel about the brand? How, how are, how are you doing that? Are you just doing it through surveys? Um, are you, do you have a team dedicated to that? Like customer voice or? We do, we do. We have a very strong market um, development and insights team that does a lot of this work. And we have probably some of the best in the business who not only help us conduct the surveys and get the information, but then interpret it so that we can constantly improve the way the brand appears. But again, staying true to what the brand is and who we are. You know, I think um, our CEO, Ginny Rometty, has said it best. A company should never define themselves by what they sell because that's always going to change. Mm -hmm. That it should always 
be defined by its values, which never change. Mm. And so when I think about the IBM brand estate, it's really three things. Number one, innovation that matters, and that's for our clients and for the world. We talked about that before. Number two, deep industry expertise. It's what we at IBM are known for. And then three, trust and responsibility. We have a responsibility um, to every single client who touches IBM. Yeah, it, when you're right, and when when companies have those that that those missions, um, you're right. It becomes a part of the every. It becomes part of everything. The way people talk, customer service, the look, the feel, everything. Um, somebody asked me this the other day, and and I thought it was a great question. I I, I want to flip it over to you, but they said, "When is it time for a rebrand versus like a refresh of the brand?" Oh gosh, that's an interesting question. When is it time for a rebrand versus a refresh? Well, um, hmm, I, I don't. You know, I don't really care for either of those terms. To be really candid, for me, it's about um, stewarding the brand and making sure that it remains true to what the company stands for and where the company is. I I, I struggle with this notion of quote unquote rebranding when the brand is really a reflection of of what the company is and who we are. Mm-hmm. Is that fair? I feel like I oh, totally is. No, 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 it totally is. Okay, good. <laughs> <laughs> no, it definitely is. <laughs> um so when you know on on you're going back to kind of the day to day, when when was the last time you tried something totally new? Um, you know, from a marketing standpoint that you've never done before and, and did it work? You know, I'm glad you asked that question because I think this goes back to being agile. We try something new almost every day. Um, that may be a little bit of hyperbole, but, but not, not much. I mean, the single most important thing that gives us confidence to try new things is, is data, right? Um, we can truly push the boundaries of marketing because we know really quickly whether something works. Um, and that helps us make the you know it helps us make the make the case whether that's um, an investment case or a resource case or otherwise to get other people in the organization on board much faster. But we really do try to test out new things frequently because it's the only way we're going to get better, and it's the only way again we can continue to push the boundaries and make marketing more relevant, more effective, and um, I think. Um, better at our craft. Mm. Can can you give me an example of one of those uh, like new tests? Sure. Well, I think you know. I think the Women in AI program is certainly something that uh, was brand new. It had never been done before, and it tapped into you know. There's this. It tapped into something that um, I think is is just really tremendous. Right, honoring these these women. I think the um, forecast change is another perfect example where we went big and bold and changed our. <laughs> we talked about branding before, where we actually changed um, uh, our name for uh, the four days. But you know, we can also look at it on a smaller scale. We've actually changed um, the way in which we host some of our events. We do very small, more intimate events that really get to the heart of what our customers need. Um, And we've done some amazing things where, you know, we said, hey, this is great. And this is a great in-person event, but it doesn't scale. And so we took um, recently a journey workshop 
that we hold. It's called the Journey to AI, and it helps companies figure out how they can um, get started on that path. And we said, how can we scale this? We actually turned it into a digital experience. Mm -hmm. So in a digital environment where we were able to host hundreds, not tens, and um, actually held a workshop and it was incredibly successful and we're holding them on a more regular basis now. Um, so we, we try, we fail fast, and when we succeed, we push it out and it becomes part of our, um, our game plan. Do you hear more companies um, hiring roles for digital experience? You, you just said that term and, yeah. and, and I've, I've seen that recently and I've heard more people talk about it and I can't seem to get um, well, like a, a, a similar answer. Everybody has different ideas of it. Have you seen this? Well, yeah. So when I, you know, when I talked about those agile teams that we build, we actually have embedded in those teams, as I said, content, which is, you know, which is really um, about building um, great material that helps give people the information they need. But we also include on that team something we call a digital strategist, which is really around the digital experience. So how do we take that great content and make it available in a digital fashion? Um, how is that digital experience? What are people doing when they are engaging with us? Where do we need to improve along that along the, the customer journey, much of which happens before people ever even contact us, right? 70% of the work is done um, by a customer before they ever even come um, knocking on our door. So how do we ensure that, that that experience, much of which happens in a digital environment, um, is the best that it can possibly be? And I think that having people like digital strategists or those who focus on the experience are really important on these agile teams we build. All right. So a couple more questions. Um, the first is what, you know, there's, there's a lot of new shiny things in the marketing marketing world right now. Um, what's, what's one marketing myth that you just say, you know what, like, here's my chance. I want to bust this myth. <laughs> Um, I think the, the biggest myth, and you know, we've spent a lot of time talking about this, is branding, right? But I think that the myth that I want to bust is that branding isn't important in a business-to-business -business context. Mm. I would argue that business-to-business -business branding or business-to-business -business, uh, or a focus on branding in B2B matters so much more than people think. And while you might say B2B brands don't get as much press, they are incredibly valuable and often as a percentage of assets, more valuable than B2C brands. So I think there was a McKinsey report that said professional buyers use a company's reputation as a shortcut that reduces risk and simplifies the evaluation process. And their survey found that purchasing decisions that were made in a B2B context consider the brand as central rather than a marginal element of a supplier's value proposition. So, you know, Again, I would say that that myth is that branding is, uh, or the myth that we need to bust is that branding isn't important in a B2B context because it's critical. Mm. So do you think that marketing changes at all from uh, like a B2C marketer to a B2B marketer? You know, I, I think that's really interesting because uh, it, I think in the, in the B2B world, we have the good fortune of understanding our customers 
better than perhaps some B2C companies know consumers. And that may seem a little controversial, but I do think that we really understand exactly who they are, what their motivations, what their intents are when they're coming to us, um, and, and how to help them. But there's a tremendous complexity in B2B that I don't think necessarily exists in the consumer world because businesses aren't single entities to which you can buy and sell. They comprise individuals who are part of a buying ecosystem within that organization. And collectively, they influence and make decisions about the partners with which they work, right? Whether that's IBM or otherwise. And I think that the biggest issue that we face in B2B is connecting a lot of those silos between different departments within that buying ecosystem. Mm -hmm. Now, I would also add that we're seeing tremendous consumerization in the B2B marketing space. We touched a little bit on it before, but buying behaviors changed. So business people who are buying in a B2B context are far more self-directed on that journey, right? Something like 70% or 60% prefer not to interact with sales and um, 75% of them are doing the research online. 62% are developing selection criteria or finalizing their vendor lists based solely on digital content. So it comes back to that question you asked about the digital experience and having um, a digital uh, strategist in our case on teams. That's why it's so critical. Um, and it's also, you know, challenging, I think, for, for B2B marketers because we have this account-based orientation versus an individual-based orientation in some cases, but it's people, it's individuals who come to our websites, who attend our events, and again, these individuals are part of an ecosystem who are making decisions. Yeah. Um, right? So yeah. um, while it's our job, <laughs> while it's our job to know these individuals and the ecosystems they're connected to, it's most important that we understand um, the roles they're playing in that buying decision and in that buying cycle and how they're, you know, how, how they prefer to get their information. So it's, it's, a, it's complex. Mm -hmm. um, but I think the complexity is something that um, in B2B we have to embrace. Mm -hmm. And um, it, 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 I think it's exciting. Yeah, I'm. I'm sure you've heard this before, but uh, yeah, it's 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 B to H at the end of the day, <laughs> business to human. Like, I love that. that that's, you know, I love that. <laughs> that is um that that is that is the goal. But yeah, no, it's um that that's an interesting take on the, on the difference between the two. Um, final final two questions. Tools. This is a very, very, very simple. Um, I'm always curious. Are there any new tools that you've been using where you're like, oh man, this just helped me out so much. Um, and I wish I had this earlier. <laughs> yeah. So, so I don't, I don't know how, how new necessarily it is, but I will tell you that the, the, the biggest techniques or tools that, um, tool in my, in that we use that I think is incredibly valuable is multi-touch attribution without a doubt, right? Yeah. Um, I think that when when we're using MTA, um, we can be far more prescriptive in the actions that we take to grow revenue in both the short or in the short, medium, and long term, right? So we can measure the value that marketing adds to any deal we touch. And when we understand 
what's important. We can better align our marketing strategies to the way that people purchase our solutions. And so I think it's an incredible, incredible um, technique that marketers must embrace and adopt. And yes, there are tools out there that can help you with that. Mm -hmm. Um, We have a wonderful marketing analytics team within IBM led by a gentleman named Ari Schenken, who uh, has built this practice for us. And, you know, I rely so heavily on them to help me understand what is most effective in our marketing. Final, final question. Sure. All right. You're, you're, you're driving through New Hampshire. Yes. (laughs) You're on the highway and there's a billboard. Okay. What marketing wisdom would you want to put on the billboard for everyone else to see? <laughs> oh, move to sales. <laughs> move to sales. <laughs> it's it's right near Common Man Joe, do you know in Hooks it? It's over yeah. it's over there. The billboard's right there, so there's a lot of traffic. Marketers, move to sales. Move to sales. Um, <laughs> you no, know, you know I'll come back to I think you know, as marketers, we have to have perspective and a true sense of what our clients are looking for and all of the dynamics that are at play in building these relationships and driving opportunities to the point of closure and the complexity of these organizations. And I think you get a real taste for that when you step outside of your role as a marketer, when you are, you know, in that complex B2B sale and understand the needs of your partners, of your clients, um, of your sellers, it, it, it makes a really big difference. So if you don't move to sales, maybe you can just go visit your clients. Um, I think there is nothing better than sitting face to face with clients and understanding exactly what they're trying to do and helping them solve those, their problems. Love it. Love it. Um, all right. Do well, I get the billboard? You get the billboard. When when okay. do you want it up? <laughs> um, Michelle, really, thank you so much. Um, thank you for letting me just like get inside your head and and, and sure. kind of get a picture of, of how you think about marketing, what you're doing on a day-to-day basis, like your take on branding, the amazing IBM projects that, that you guys are working on. And then also thank you for your honesty and like your successes and your failures. And those those are, are things that will... Um, will truly help you know the listeners of this show grow and uh, kind of excel in their career. So I really, really appreciate um, your time and, and thank you for coming on the show. This was a great conversation. Thank you so much for having me, Todd. I appreciate it.